1: Man, we got a big episode in store for you guys today talking about Oregon's 26-16 win over the Washington Huskies on the road in Seattle. Uh, We are uh, back in Eugene as we record this on a Monday afternoon. I'm joined uh, on this episode of the podcast by Ducks Digest reporter Nick Batty, who is also at the game in Seattle and uh, man, Nick, there's there's plenty to get into here. We could talk about the fallout uh, within the Washington program, some of the uh, additional updates that we've got from Oregon, um, with the you know talking to Mario today and the coordinators. So, where where do you think we should start off this one? Because we could do a lot of great stuff here.
2: Yeah, well, I think we got to start off with Travis Die. Uh, his performance was simply incredible on Saturday. Uh, something that is made of legends and will certainly not be forgotten anytime soon in this uh, great Oregon, Washington rivalry, Uh, 211 yards rushing and um, touchdown along with two other receptions for 13 more yards. I mean, it was incredible. uh, The performance you put on, especially in the second half with, you you could include the offensive line in it too. Of course, They, they were a big part of it, but uh, everyone knew the ball was going to be given a number 26 in the stadium and uh, uh, all over the country watching it and UW just couldn't stop it. And I mean, that's the epitome of domination, uh, in my opinion, in the game of football is you're running up the middle. Everyone knows it. The other team knows it
1: and they still can't stop it. That was pretty incredible to watch. Yeah, you, you could say that it was kind of a, a, a boring game from from that standpoint. But, you know, given that it was such a rainy and cold day, you know, passing was, was difficult for both teams. I mean, Anthony Brown and and Dylan Morris didn't have that different of a lines, uh, final stat lines, that is. You know, Anthony Brown, 98 yards, and Dylan Morris with 111 yards, and they, they both threw a pick. Uh, so it was kind of just a rough day on, on offense for both teams through the air. But you talk about Travis Dye, my God, this, this guy just continues to impress week in and week out. Um, you wrote in your takeaway story that you know he, he is more than capable of being a workhorse at, at this point for Oregon. I think that was a, a topic that a lot of people were kind of interested to, to see play out after Verdell's season-ending injury. Uh, on the road in Palo Alto, is is Travis Dye going to be able to to sustain that same level of production that we saw from Verdell? Twenty eight carries in this one, three hundred and twenty nine total rushing yards for the Ducks as a team. And man, tra- Travis Dye has just been phenomenal. And I think, I mean, I wonder if 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 CJ Verdell were still playing, would would he would he even be at this high of a level? Which which might be an unfair question to ask, you know, given where we are in the season and. Um, just kind of how big, how Travis Dye is the focal point of this offense. But, um, who knows? Cause I feel like the, the, offensive line has, has really, uh, excelled and, and kind of, you know, gelled even though they're, they're rotating some pieces there, but Travis Dye is super fun to watch. And, you know, he was playing with so much emotion, you know, yelling after that big touchdown late in the game. And it was just so fun to see.
2: Yeah. Very fun. Uh, just the whole backfield. I mean, Byron Cardwell has clearly um, become the number two running back on this team, and he did an okay day. Uh, I feel like a couple of times he he ran the ball. He wasn't given much of a chance. Uh, he was met in the backfield pretty quickly, but uh, you definitely saw some of the flashes of, of why people are so high on him. And Anthony Brown, while he wasn't very good passing the football uh, on Saturday he still was an effective runner for them. And they had a lot of design quarterback runs for him. And that, that they did it right out of the gate. It was the second play of the game with uh, the design QB run, which is not something we've seen a ton from Brown this year. So uh, it was clearly something they saw on film that they thought they could uh, exploit the Washington defense with, with some of that. So just the entire rushing game for, for Oregon, was, was great. But of of course, Travis, I mean, uh, I think you should be at this point, the leader for offensive player of the year in the PAC 12. Uh, I I can't really think of anyone in this conference who has had a better uh, run here for the the league's best team than what Travis has done.
1: It feels like every week, the story for one of these Oregon games is, is Travis dies dominance. Talk about seven and a half yards per carry is just insane. And then to go back to what you said about Byron Carwell, you know, not the best day statistically, but 16 carries, you know, he, he's definitely solidifying himself as, as kind of that number two guy, whether the the staff wants to, to call it the number two running back explicitly or not. Um, we didn't see any of seven McGee, which was, which I thought was interesting. Um, there were a couple of points in the game when I looked over to the Oregon sideline and, and looked like McGee was, you know, jumping up and down, running around a little bit, trying to get warm. So Kind of surprising that we didn't see him involved there, but, I mean, it, it was, you figure if he was in this game that, that he would have been pretty successful as well. Uh, Ryan Walk, to talk about the offensive line, you know, he went down with an injury in this one, um, which, you know, you never, you never want to see a guy get injured, but the, the Ducks did have uh, Alex Forsyth back in action uh, against the Huskies, which, which is great to see after he missed the entire month of October. Um, talking to Mario Cristobal today, and he was telling us that it looks like walk's going to miss about three to four weeks as he, uh, as he works on getting healed up. But fortunately for Oregon, Jackson powers, Johnson is uh ready to roll crystal ball telling reporters today. So ducks getting back a key piece of their offensive line just as they lose one for a little bit here. Um, but crystal also said that he's happy that he and the staff were happy that, um, walk avoided a season ending injury. So, um, I guess it was kind of close to being, you know, something real severe. So, Kind of some some personnel updates there, but I mean the the other story that kind of went with this Nick is that who we've what we've seen this past couple of weeks, whoever goes in, they just get the job done, and Oregon keeps moving the ball on the ground behind um, just about you know like I said, who, whoever uh, they throw out there. That's exactly right. I mean you you go back
2: to beginning of the year against Fresno State, the offensive line was pretty shaky. They they had a lot of different rotations going in and out. Uh, there are times where they weren't moving people around very well against Fresno State, even in parts against Stony Brook uh, in Arizona. They, it wasn't a great showing, but they have really, since the Stanford game and the bye week, come together. And uh, that that unit's been, been amazing for the Ducks uh, ever since that bye week. So it's great to see, and, and you're really confident as a Duck fan going into this rest of the year that, that the seven-man rotation they have maybe eight if Ryan Walken comes come back for the pac 12 Championship game or a bowl game, uh that, that that this unit can really be a strength for this team going forward.
1: I'm gonna have my eye on where Jackson Powers Johnson slides back into the rotation. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't start just because you I mean I could see the staff wanting to be cautious um in in that regard. Um and they they've been moving Dawson Jermilo all around, but it's nice, like I said, that he's coming back because he was, uh, you know, before Forsyth got hurt uh, or was missing time. I don't know if it was a specific instance that, um, that, you know, the, the spasms happened, if that stemmed from something, should I say. Um, but I say all that to say that Powers Johnson was the backup center behind Forsyth. So um, that gives you some confidence, like you were saying earlier, um, you know, if anything were to happen um, with, with Forsyth's back, if he were to flare up or, or whatever the case may be, but yeah, the this Oregon offensive line was just dominant against the Huskies, uh, who also had uh, you know ZTF. You know he, he's working his way back uh, from injury, um, and a lot of people had their eyes on him. You know he was slated pretty high in, in some mock drafts, if I remember correctly. So uh, I think it's it's a statement that they were able to kind of neutralize him as well, and uh, Anthony Brown didn't get sacked all game. Um, and I feel like that even though the defensive line for Washington was viewed as a weakness of that unit, um, that side of the ball, any day you can keep, uh, Anthony Brown upright is, is definitely, uh, is definitely a win in my book, but, um, but let's dive a little bit more into this passing game, Nick. Cause I mean, it, obviously it, it wasn't a strong day statistically, and I don't think a lot of quarterbacks would have played very well in, in those elements, but credit to Anthony Brown. I mean, aside from that interception, which was really bad. Um, you know, definitely want to put that out there to start because, you know, everyone's going to want to harp on that. And just when it happened, it happened so early in that game. It, w- it felt like offensively it couldn't have started much worse for Oregon. But um, he throws that interception and then he kind of kind of locks back in a little bit, plays it cleaner throughout the rest of the game, had some some really big passes in some big situations uh, to help keep the sticks moving. And then he obviously had that touchdown to, to uh, Devin Williams that, gave them the lead. And I think that was a, a crucial sequence because Jeffrey Bossa gets that stop on fourth down when Sean McGrew tries to take it on the wildcat run. And then the Ducks get the ball back the next drive. Brown connects with Williams and they never looked back. They they held that lead for the rest of this one.
2: Yeah, that really was the turning point of the game when uh, Bossa got that fourth down stop there. It, it really just changed the momentum in that game. And you could feel it in the stadium. But uh, I just want to start off with real quick. I don't know how well it it showed on the broadcast, but the conditions out there were incredibly bad. Uh, I don't think any quarterback would have excelled in, in those conditions. Uh, I mean, it was brutal out there. Uh, just absolutely pouring rain for most of the game. You had a 20-mile-per-hour wind coming in off of the lake into the stadium. So – I mean, you you could see that with Camden Lewis's kicks uh, at times, you know, they were falling way short of the end zone, but that was, I think, more a uh, a testament to how, how windy it was there than anything else. But uh, Brown did what he could. And aside from that one interception, he played a fine game and he did what he was asked to do. So I don't really have any real bad things to say about Anthony Brown with this game. And uh, Hey, when he needed to throw a, great pass. He threw an absolute dime there to Devin Williams to give the Ducks the lead late in the first half. And they really never looked, looked back from there. And went, when that Devin Williams catch happened, uh, I was in the press box and it was so loud at Husky Stadium. I thought you'd have picked it off for a second because I was like, there's no way the crowd's this loud for an Oregon touchdown. But they were. Uh, a lot of Duck fans there. It was great to see them. And that was, that was a great moment for me that I'll remember.
1: Yeah. And you talk about Anthony Brown's day. Why, why would you pass any more than you need to in a game like this? Um, I think even if the, even if the weather was nice, if, if you're running the ball like that and you're having continued success, sustained success, I don't see any reason to deviate from that. So, it, I mean, it's You don't want to you know, just put a nail in it and say, it was just Travis died, but like, to, to in, a, in a sense it kind of was you know they, they gave the ball to die whenever uh, whenever they they turned to him when they needed him and he he answered the call as he has all year so I, I feel like there's not not a lot to talk about here with with regard to what Oregon was able to do offensively I mean Alex Forsyth got got flied for for a block when he just absolutely manhandled the guy if you remember that play Nick. And yeah, that, I mean, that
2: was, that was not a penalty. He just pancaked a defender and I guess the ref felt bad for him uh, through a flag, but that was not a penalty.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, that was, that was a pretty soft call. I think we can all agree on that, but um, I mean, yeah, 56 carries for, for Oregon on the ground um, past 300 rushing yards for the first time since uh, 2019 against Washington state, who they, who they play this week uh at home in Otsen and tied for the second most rushing yards in the game by any Pac-12 team this season. So they're they're just getting it done and then I feel like they're they're really hitting their stride, converted 8 of 11 third down attempts, so keeping the chains moving, getting those long sustained drives, which is, you know, something you want to see in a game that's uh that's kind of ground and pound like this was. So uh, and then also you, you have to talk about uh, Camden Lewis getting, getting uh, a field goal through the uprights and, and those conditions. I mean, he, he continues to have a, a terrific year credit to him and, and the rest of the special teams unit um, that, that was able to, to put together another solid showing as far as the, the field goal kicks go. I know that Mario Cristobal was saying that, that the coverage units are are an area that he wants to, to see some improvement as they, they kind of keep working to fine tune some things here on from here on out. But yeah, that's, I mean, um, what else can we really add here or do you think we should talk about as far as the, uh, the offense goes?
2: I think we basically touched on it. Uh, I mean, um, what more can we say than Travis Dye and the offensive line were incredible. Uh, that really was all there was to it. It wasn't that complex of an offense, as we said before. But, uh, I mean, the co-MVPs uh, and, and MVP in this game was the defense. And, How Oregon dominated UW's offense at pretty much all times. I mean, UW's offense really scored seven points all game. Uh, The first nine points in the first quarter were pretty much all from the defense. So, uh, I mean, look, we all knew coming in UW's offense was not good, but terrible. Yeah, terrible. terrible. I I sugarcoated it a little bit there, but it still took a good effort to uh, give them a goose egg until early in the fourth quarter. And that's exactly what they did. Um it was a great showing from from everyone on the defense. I mean, Jordan Happel had that interception with the club. Uh Jeff Bossa continues to excel at, at the inside linebacker position, just incredible from him. Uh Noah Sewell was all over the place. It, it was just you could go on and on with all the names that that played well in this game. Um what what was what was it from the defense that most stood out to you, Max?
1: I, I have to go with just how they just, you know, stifled UW on the ground. I mean, for, for as good as Oregon's offense was on the ground, it was the exact opposite for UW in this one. And I think that that really, this kind of performance, you know, even though there wasn't a lot going on through the year, I feel like it kind of epitomizes Mario Cristobal's identity that he wants for this team. You, you look at the games being one in the trenches um, especially with this Washington team, I feel like they've definitely rooted their identity in their defense. Um, and you know, they, they put some, some guys in the league, uh, along the defensive line, but I think they're more known for their secondary. So just how dominant Oregon was running the ball. And then what had been working for UW these past couple of weeks for their offense was running the ball and they couldn't do anything running the ball. Um, let me pull up some more stats here to, to kind of put this into perspective. Uh, UW had 24 carries for 55 yards and they had both of their touchdowns were on the ground. You know, that talk about that first one being set up by the the early Anthony Brown interception that was returned to around the Oregon 10 yard line, but they only averaged two and a half yard, 2.3 yards a carry on on 24 carries. So, you know, I think they kind of, took away you know bread and butter and then they kind of did what what some teams i feel like had been doing to oregon to a degree is trying to get the quarterback to beat them and i think that's obviously not working now for teams going against oregon because i feel like anthony brown continues to progress aside from some of these turnovers that that he's having um but yeah, I mean, that that's really what stood out the most to me, Nick, was just that they were so stout in the trenches. You talk about Jeffrey Bossa being such a standout performer. He's a name that we're hearing every week. He, and the time since, has won Pac-12 Freshman of the Week. And, you know, for him to do what he's doing as a converted safety, and the plan is still to move him back to safety, I might add, you know, after the season, has just been tr- nothing short of tremendous because this Oregon defense the whole season – Literally since the first game, they've been battling injuries all, all throughout and in some way, shape, or form. And Mario Cristobal said that, that that has, you know, just with the personnel that they have, because there's a lot of young guys and, and, you know, a lot of key pieces that have been in and out, they've been limited as far as their play calling goes. But now that they're getting guys a little bit healthier, we, we have a, a pretty big injury update to talk about in, in a little bit here with, with Steve Stevens. But now that they're getting guys back, Guys are gelling. Jeffrey Bossa is looking a lot more comfortable at that that linebacker role. Uh, Jordan Happel is coming in as a, as a big rotational piece. You know, we're, we're seeing, kind of like we said last week in, in the podcast, we're seeing a lot more of this this full potential of, of the Oregon defense. Um, I feel like we kind of know what the offense is at this point, which just kind of means, for me, I feel like I'm more excited about the defense and the, and the growth that we've seen there.
2: Definitely. Uh, I mean, Washington, as bad as their offense is, uh, Kate Otten and Trail Bynum are two very solid pass catchers for them. And Kate Otten had four receptions for 30 yards. Trail Bynum had one catch for nine yards. So, I mean, those being their two top guys and Oregon really held them in check extremely well throughout the entire game. Uh, Really impressive stuff from the secondary. And that that was kind of Oregon's weakness, per se, is – is their passing defense. And for the most part, UW couldn't even tap into that at all. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how Oregon does uh, this coming week against Washington State, a team that loves to throw the football and is is very good at that. Uh, I'm I'm very interested to see how the defense will will react from going from UW's pro-style offense to the run and shoot uh, this coming week. But maybe we can get into that more at the end. Uh, But again... I don't know if there's much more to say about this defense, but it was a great showing against a very poor offense.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
1: Yeah, so we can we can talk some more about this defense. I, I think just some some numbers that really bring this performance to light. You look at 166 total yards of offense for for UW in this one, um, on just seven first downs. That that's the fewest first downs allowed in the game since September 18th, 2010 for the Ducks when they played Portland State. So I think it's kind of fitting that that's the stat that we're saying because you look at Portland State. And UW lost to Montana, a, a pretty a pretty lowly you know FCS team, um, at the at the start of the season. But this was uh this was the first time that uh, sorry, let me read this here. The first time that the Ducks have held the Pac-12 opponent under 200 yards of offense since November 13th, 2010, against California. So they're just it's just crazy to see the, a team like washington struggle this much because there is there is talent there are good players on that offense it just it's just been pretty poorly coached i mean as we've kind of seen here john donovan got fired if we can transition into that um you know not not to take anything away from this oregon defense but at a certain point you kind of got to take a step back and be like what's been going on here at at washington and and that's kind of the the vibe that i got when i was talking to dan husky publisher for for si just that it's just been kind of a a a big mess in seattle and then here we are uh after this win for oregon and you got jimmy lake firing john donovan um his offensive coordinator after one of the worst showings of the season for the huskies
2: yeah uh there have been a lot of problems going on the last 48 hours since this loss in seattle and uh john donovan uh, has been given the out as maybe the scapegoat for now. Uh, not that he's been good. Uh, I know a lot of people from or up there who are big Washington fans who are happy to see him go. Uh, I think the best way to put it is uh, Penn State's offense was exceptional when Joe Moorhead was the offensive coordinator. And then when John Donovan came in and was the offensive coordinator for Penn State, their offense really was a lot worse. So uh, that kind of just shows the difference in coordinator hires that these two teams made. And uh, perhaps that's the difference in, in these two offenses in this game was, was the difference between Moorhead and versus John Donovan. So not at all surprised that Donovan uh, was let go, but um, there's definitely some, some problems bigger than that for uh, Jimmy Lake and the uh, Huskies right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, you look at the, the, kind of the, the future the the outlook for the rest of the season for the Huskies with uh with Donovan getting getting the boot so to speak uh in Seattle um we have a little bit of a shakeup at offensive coordinator um i'm looking right now just to uh to confirm here but um you know who's going to who's going to take over play calling duties it's going to be junior adams uh who's uh, the wide receivers coach for the Huskies And, uh, you know, he has a background as a quality control analyst, um, or I'm sorry, no, offensive quality control analyst, uh, Peyton McCollum will manage the quarterbacks um, as we, as we navigate this. I I think just the, the, what we're seeing right now going on in Seattle, it just speaks a lot to, I think what Mario Cristobal has, has been able to do because he's not, you know, things like this aren't happening and, and and Eugene, and obviously it's, I feel you could say because they're winning, but every time Mario Cristobal needs to make a hire, if someone snags one of his assistants or, you know, they, they go on to, you know, take on a bigger role than they had at Oregon, for, for example, you know, Marcus Arroyo going, going away to head the UNLV program is a perfect example. Mario Cristobal has made a solid hire every time. um, It feels like, so, you know, Cristobal is just, he's leaving his mark on, on this program as far as just making those, those good hires and, and, you know, sustaining a, you know, a good culture in Eugene.
2: Yeah. Chris Bull is showing he came from the Nick Saban coaching tree that he's not afraid to go out and hire the best guy, even though, even if that best guy could leave after, after a couple of years to get a head coaching job of his own. You look at Marcus Arroyo. He uh, got a head coaching job at UNLV a few years ago, last year, uh, Andy Avalos hand picked a hire left to be the Boise State head coach. And I would not be surprised after this season, Joe Moorhead gets a lot of interest for head coaching jobs of his own. So uh, Cristobal time and time again has shown now that even if it's going to be a short lifespan here in Eugene for these coaches, he just wants to get the best guy in here and coach up his guys and he'll figure out the rest later because he can then go out and hire another guy who he thinks is going to be the next uh, head coach. So he worries about what's going to make this team the best right now, rather than maybe trying to hire a guy who is more improving and could maybe stay here longer. And that's the way Ball has done it. And it's worked out really well for him so far.
1: Yeah. You talk about, you know, Ball looking for those, those good hires, someone who, maybe it doesn't have a super large role at the school that they're at, but you know, someone who has a a future of of being a head coach, you know, he sees that potential and, and, and them as a candidate um, to get hired, but we can't talk about Washington without talking about the new Jimmy Lake news, the second story coming out of Seattle. And that's uh, the Huskies suspending Jimmy Lake for this week's Arizona state game. Um, this kind of really all stems from what a lot of people saw on the sideline. It was, a you know, a physical interaction with, with one of, uh, the Husky football players, um, you know, and the, this video got pretty blown up on social media as, you know, things like this do. And, and it looks like you can see like strike the player, um, you know, but he, he had said that I didn't strike him. I, I separated them, um, because, you know, there was some back and forth going on and, you know, um, you know, some, some pushing and shoving. So that's kind of what, what Lake's side of the story was, you know, we got to, um, you know, at least uh, put that out there, but man, it's, you just, you see, it's the timing of all of it's really crazy because you see him make a move like fire and Donovan, which is really just kind of a last ditch effort to save himself, you know, kind of pointing the finger, if you will, to, just to say that, you know, that the offense was the problem. It's not necessarily me. So it's just, the wheels are coming off in Seattle. I mean, if the, I don't know how many wheels are left, if you know things were already kind of falling apart, but it's just it's just gotten worse. I mean, it's just crazy to see how much has transpired in just the forty-eight hours since this Oregon game.
2: Yeah, definitely, and it'll be interesting to see what happens after the season and with these last couple of games they have against uh, Arizona State, and then I know that the last game they have is uh, of course the Apple Cup, uh, but. I don't think it's as much of a slam dunk that Jimmy Lake's gone after this year as people are talking about. Uh, you know, obviously, they'll have a new offensive coordinator. Maybe he can turn some things around. And also, Jimmy Lake has a $6 million buyout. And with the amount of head coaching vacancies there already are in college football, you look at the USC job, you look at the LSU job. Florida looks like it's likely to be open soon. Washington isn't gonna maybe get the best guy available and uh if that's the case they might be better off waiting another year see if jimmy lake can figure things out with a new offensive coordinator and if not then the next year he has a i think it's a three million dollar buyout and he can uh and, and they can look for someone new then who where maybe uh they have a better shot to get the best guy available so It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I'm sure Oregon fans will be interested from afar to see what ends up happening in Seattle. But it's definitely uh, gone south very quickly for Jimmy
1: Lake uh, ever since this this Oregon week started about a week ago. And I mean, that was my I don't know about you, Nick, but that was my first time at Husky Stadium. And you know, just just from walking around a little bit, um, it's you can see. I feel like the elements are there for for you know some excitement around a program like you know, how they're performing on the field aside. I mean, they had really good facilities. Um, and before the game kind of took a turn for the worse for them, I feel like the stadium was really loud. So, you know, you got a passionate fan base, you got some NFL success with with some of those defensive backs that they're putting out there. And um you know, but but now they're I mean they they haven't done anything on the recruiting trail, which I think is, you know, it's tough because you look at how Jimmy Lake's recruiting, that's not going well. We look at the hires that he's made. Those aren't really panning out. The on-field product's terrible. They look terrible at least. I mean, it's it's kind of been up and down. I mean, it was weird because they, they had a chance to to be right there with Oregon, so to speak, for the Pac-12 North if they won this game, right? But but now I mean, you got to you got to try to win the, these last couple games because that's I feel like that's the only way you can salvage this season.
2: Yeah, you pretty much said it all
1: there. Um,
2: recruiting-wise, you know, this this um, suspension definitely won't help. I can't imagine, you know, uh, what Oregon could use uh, from this week to uh, um, tell tell recruits who might be deciding between Oregon and Washington despite Jimmy Lake's best efforts of saying he's not a rival recruiting-wise with Oregon. But, uh, yeah, it's – it's, there's no good news for for Washington football at the moment. That's really all there is to say left.
1: Yeah, well we got, I know I have one more big uh, update that I want to talk about with Oregon, um, but just since we're talking about Jimmy Lake, I thought it would be timely to read his uh, his statement that he released since the suspension was announced. Uh, reading on Twitter here, he says, "I want to apologize to every member of our team and in particular to Ruperake uh, Fuavai, that was the player." um that you know was in the in the video that that went viral for my actions during our game on saturday i also want to apologize to president uh Koss and jen cohen for putting the university in this position i fully accept the decision that was made our team has a right to expect better than what i displayed on saturday and i'm committed to doing just that being better so our program will reflect all that's good about being a washington husky so a uh, a crazy week for for jimmy lake you know since he shot himself in the foot with those recruiting comments and and then players were you know upset about you know not getting to play oregon last year and then oregon went to the Pac-12 championship and, and took care of business there but like i've said before all you can do is play those games in front of you um do you have anything else you wanted to add about the whole lake situation before uh we we talk about this uh steve stevens update that we got monday
2: not really. Uh, I, I think you mentioned about the fan base and how passionate they were at the beginning of this game. I think it, it best sums up how the game ended on Saturday, where under two minutes left, fourth and 10, they decided to punt the ball away uh, and give the ball back to Oregon, who was running all over them. And, well, they didn't even get to punt the ball because they snapped it through the back of the end zone for safety to lose the game that way. And there are a lot of boo birds. Anyone uh, who was a UW fan who was left there on that rainy night was was certainly booing uh, for that decision, and I don't blame them. That was pretty uh,
1: puzzling to watch in the press box there. Yeah, and I mean, I, I was I was writing up the story about Jimmy Lake's postgame presser, and he was asked about that very situation, and he was more or less saying, "Yeah, you know, we we'd give the ball back to Oregon, but." I had confidence that our uh, our defense could have gotten a stop to give us another shot to you know get get some more points on the board. And if you hear comments like that and it kind of makes you think, well what game were you watching cuz your defense couldn't stop Oregon like at all. So definitely a head scratcher there. Things continue to unravel for June Lake and the Washington Huskies. Taking it back to an Oregon focus now. One of the big injury updates that we got from Mario Cristobal today was Steve Stevens the fourth uh, big safety for Oregon. Um, you know, the headline there being that his injury was more is more significant than originally thought, and we don't have a timetable for his return right now. You'll recall that Steve Stevens got hurt in the Colorado game with what ball called a soft tissue injury. And then last week, he said that he was going to be reevaluated and that there was a chance he would play against the Huskies, but, um, you know, things not looking as positive for Oregon now. And I think this will be interesting to follow because the the, the safety room has seen a lot of uh, a lot of movement this year. You talk about Ben and Williams going down earlier in the year. He was off to an amazing start this season, um, and then now Jordan Happel um, is, is looking like he's going to be relied on pretty heavily. So if you think about guys to turn to, he, he's a veteran safety that that obviously is incredibly experienced and has played a lot of football. So that's good for them. Um, he got that big interception against UW with the club, which I think is pretty remarkable. So DeRuiter was saying, you know, he just feels really confident about, about Happel and um, him taking a, a, on a bigger role, you know, cause he's gonna, he's glad he's playing at a high level because he's going to be, he's going to be pretty big for Oregon as they go down this, uh this last stretch here in the Pac-12 regular season.
2: No doubt. It's a big loss for the Ducks. And when you pair it with, with Bennett Williams and, uh, of course, uh, Jeffrey Boss is now an inside linebacker for the season. Uh, safety's getting a little bit a little bit thin back there. So uh, Jordan Happel's really going to have to step up. We've seen flashes from him these past two years with, with the Ducks, but uh, I'd like to see more consistency from him. So that'll be something we all really look for uh, moving forward, especially in this Washington State game where, you know, uh, that run and shoot offense has given the Ducks some issues in the past and, uh, and hopefully they'll uh, be able to figure it out this year.
1: A couple other names to watch in the secondary for the Ducks: Brian Addison getting a lot of a uh, lot of time against Colorado just a little bit ago, and then Damon David, true freshman, uh, is another guy that that uh, could be called upon. As as like you said, Nick, that that depth gets pretty thin uh, at safety. But coach Coach Marshall Yates has done a pretty solid job all year. Uh, Rome McKinley, I know he was saying that he has some. Some some tackles that he wish he could have uh, could have had back. Um, you know, just trying to make sure he he keeps steadily improving there. But yeah, man, I mean, it's it's gonna be crazy to last a little stretch here. I'm, I'm excited to see what uh, Washington State can bring to the table. Um, hopefully, this Oregon offense can continue building off of off of the progress that they've made this year. Um, maybe we'll see more of Cardwell. Um, i'd like to see some more you know passing some more uh, you know potent passing uh, attack uh, if if the elements uh will allow the ducks to to do so but kind of just wanted to uh see if there's any any final remarks that we kind of wanted to throw out there ducks moved to number five in the ap poll the latest uh, ap poll coming out new uh new college football playoff rankings are expected out Thursday, uh tuesday afternoon excuse me so uh we got we got our uh, fair share items to keep an eye on Yeah, uh,
2: just a final thought from me. Uh, Do not look past this Washington State game coming up. The Cougs are really hot right now. They're really resilient with everything they've dealt with this year. And uh, I think it's going to be a really tough game for the Ducks. You know, they're coming off that emotional win in Seattle, rivalry game and all that last week. Uh, They've got the massive game at Salt Lake City the following week, uh, where a lot of people are saying that could be a tough game for, for Oregon. Uh, Don't look past this game because Washington State, if they win, uh, they would control their destiny for the Pac-12 championship game and not the Ducks. So uh, everything's on the line this game for Oregon, and they better be ready to play because I think Washington State, uh, coming off the bye week, uh, among other things, will uh, be ready to go for
1: sure. From an Oregon perspective, you got to be happy that this game's coming at home but uh you know, the, the pactful after dark aspect of it certainly gives you maybe uh a, a little cause for concern. I don't know. I feel like you can't really put that much into that uh you know aspect of the game. But you know, I feel like the Cougars are probably the most packable after dark team in, in the conference. You look back at that game they had against UCLA a little bit ago, and that was just absolute madness. Um but yeah, Nick, it's it's uh it's another another week. Oregon gets gets a big win. Um uh, on the road in Seattle, and you know you gotta you gotta win at the end of the day. And, and the Ducks uh, pass a, another big test here as they you know get get all this noise getting thrown at them with, with regard to the playoffs. But they've just told us at every turn, you know, we gotta focus on the game uh, the game ahead of us and the, the task at hand. And that's Washington State now. Before we get out of here, Nick, where can people find more of you? You can find me on Twitter at
2: nickbat twenty two, and you can find my writing on Ducks Digest.
1: Yes, sir. Well yeah, make sure you uh give Nick a follow. He's uh he's been writing some awesome stuff for us. He always comes with uh you know some some takeaways from each week's game. I uh, had that for us last week. And then he he also does some uh betting odds stories and kind of his his take on those odds. I think I saw that you were up to a five and three record on the year, if that's correct, Nick. So that's kind that's kind of cool. You know, we like to like to have fun at uh Dust Digest and you know, bring some bring some uh, different content, some some new ideas to the table. So that's gonna be that's gonna be it for this one. You can find me on Twitter at mtorres sports. Ask that you subscribe to the YouTube channel that's been growing real nicely. Uh, Oregon football, Max Taurus. Also go ahead and head over if you're on Twitter. You can sign up for our free daily newsletter um, to get the latest Oregon Ducks news sent directly to your inbox every day. Uh, And then you can also find us on other social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ducks Digest. That'll do it for another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you in the next one.
0: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.